Um, I want to tell you a story. It's a story that most of you have probably heard before. Most likely it's the story you came to hear today. But there's something about Easter, something about this moment that makes us do strange things, right? Like eat ham. How many of you have had ham for Easter or going to have ham or it's been a thing? How, when was the last time you went to a restaurant and ordered ham, right? Like who eats ham? We, we do it on Easter though, right? We eat peeps. What's a peep? Like what's in it? It's like, like I think there's crack in, in a peep. It just, I don't know why we, we eat them. Uh, men, men with beards, they wear pastel colored shirts on Easter, right? You know, and it's socially acceptable, right? So we, we, we do these things, right? Another thing is we go to church, right? How crazy is that? You know, right? Did you guys not have anything better to do today than, than to come to church, right? No, I heard someone said no, right? But, but, but church, going to church for uh, the first time or for the first time in a long time or just on a regular basis, sometimes there's that uncomfortable experiences at church. Anyone ever have an uncomfortable experience at church? Yes. I can remember back when I was young, going to church on Easter, uh, and it was weird, right? Uh, I remember being very uncomfortable in those moments. I didn't really understand the language of church, uh, some of the words that they used. The music was strange on Easter. There were people singing, and, and on top of that, my mom uh, made us go to this Pentecostal church, right? And it's, that's a whole different level of weirdness. How many, how many Pentecostals do we have here? Just want to give you an opportunity to raise your hand. Yeah, right, right, okay. But I didn't understand the Easter story. I didn't understand how it related to me. I remember feeling, uh, feeling very uncomfortable, uh, almost like an outsider when I went to church. It, it was different from when we went to church on Christmas. It, that story seemed to connect a little bit better, right? There's Jesus' birthday, and these guys came to bring him gifts, and so we give gifts, you know, something like that. And it made a little more sense to me. But, but Easter is different. Easter has these, these codes, I guess, right? Um, people shake your hands at the door, and then they say things like, He is risen. And they stand there and they shake your hand until, and they're like pointing at you, waiting for you to say something back. And, and, I, and I remember this awkward silence of just shaking this guy's hand and he's like, he is risen. And I'm like, my mom made me bring, my mom made me come. You know, like I, I didn't know what to say, say back to him, you know. Nobody told me that when someone says he is risen, you're, there's a correct response. You're supposed to say church people here today, right? Nobody, look, I'm, I'm a little, little upset. I'm still kind of bitter about that, right? I felt like an idiot. No one told me there was something to say, right? This week, I was reminded of that, of, of church codes, right? Holy Week, uh, down at the Methodist Church, they had these luncheons every week, you know, and, and um, each church was required to invite one pagan, and so we got invited to go to, um, to be with these other churches, and so I remember we're kind of mingling it. We're, we're, we're having lunch. We're mingling. And all of a sudden, this guy from the front yells out, Lord be with you. And they all said, instantly on the ground in the fetal position. Those memories started flashing back. I didn't know. I, I felt out of place. Again, no one told me there was something to say, right? But I remember what it was like to be on the outside. And so if you're a guest with us this morning, I, I want to first say thank you. Thank you for trusting us enough to come. And listen, we would never in a million years uh, ask any one of our guests to stand or, or do anything that would cause unneeded attention. Never. Our hope is that you would see something so authentic and so real here. That you would want to give us another chance next week. Or maybe the week after that too. And hopefully you're going to hear the truth about God. And who Jesus is for us. 
And as you trust us enough to come and, and to keep coming, you'll discover who Jesus can be for you too. See, one of the things I love about the Grove Church is the realness and the authentic people that we have here. If you're a guest today or somewhat new to this church, what you see is what you get. This is who we are. And through our brokenness, we're going to tell you about Jesus. And that brings us to the story today. Because when you begin to read the Bible as story, you quickly see how God, he used some really broken, messed up people. Have you ever tried to explain some of the Old Testament characters to your kids, right? You know, like, like Solomon, man, he was great king. He was very wise. He had a thousand wives, you know, right? You know, what do you say to there, right? Or, or, or David, man, this guy killed a giant. He was a great king and a murderer and, and an adulterer, right? And so I'm telling my kids about the story of David and Goliath and the smart ones like, Dad, who's Bathsheba? And I'm like... We gotta ask your mother. She'll, she'll tell you all about Bathsheba. I don't, you know, I'm talking about David and Goliath today, right? But I, I find that refreshing because when I read the Bible, I can see myself in the Bible, right? And it's different from when I was a kid and I used to watch movies and TV shows and I wanted to be those heroes that I would see on the screen, right? I wish I was, I wish I was like them. I wanted to be Officer John McClain. Die hard, right? You know, I, 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 wanted, I wanted to be Bruce Wayne or, or James Bond or even Magnum P.I., right? Those guys were awesome. But when I read the Bible, I see these heroes of our faith, and I'm like, man, that guy's messed up. Man, that dude's jacked up, right? How in the world did God use these guys? Why would he, why would he use a guy like that? And then I step in front of the mirror, and I'm quickly reminded, oh, yeah, that's, that's me. I, I'm jacked up, too. I'm broken and flawed just like these guys. And so for me, the Bible is very earthy. It's very relatable. It's very real. And one of the most freeing things about these heroes in the Bible is sometimes they lack faith. Because you know what? Sometimes I lack faith. These guys in the Bible, they struggled with sin and doubt. And, and, and I struggle with sin and doubt too. Their faith wavered from time to time. And so does mine. Does yours? I mean, can we be honest about this? And I thank God that, that his word gives us permission to be real. So I want you to turn to one of the gospels with me. Um, it doesn't matter which one. We're going to be in all four. They, they all uh, are different accounts of this Easter story, and they all give color to the story. So, so turn to one. Turn, go ahead and turn to Matthew. We'll, we'll start in Matthew for the first one. If you, don't, if you need a Bible, there might be one at a, a chair or a table around you. So Matthew. When we look at the Easter story, it connects strongly with this idea that the Bible is relatable to me. Because the story is full of doubt. But the tragedy is, is way too often we read the story of Easter through these, I don't know, jelly bean colored glasses. And we miss the rawness of disbelief. And let me show you. If I asked any one of you to summarize the story of Easter, you'd probably say something like this, like, well, I know there's something about a donkey, and, and, and Jesus was on a donkey. There was palm, palm leaves, maybe. Then there was a cross and an empty tomb. You know, that right, right there. And those are the, the bullet points of the outline for, for the Holy Week. Those are all true. But if you read the story too fast, you, you miss the disbelief that's behind the story. You know, most of us, we have the, the Friday part down. You know, that Jesus went to the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. And, and we know Sunday that he rose from the dead. And, and, and we don't really need to hear the, the Friday part anymore. 
We know how horrible it was, how gory it was, how painful it, it must have been. Even the ambulance chasers in the room, those of you that love the gore and the horror, you want to fast forward to Sunday too. You want that part of the story. We can't wait till Sunday. I, 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 why don't we just move past Friday and jump right into Sunday? I get it. He died a horrible death. He was beaten and crucified. I, I, I get what it was about. But let's talk about Sunday. Can we, can we talk about Sunday instead? But in our rush to, to get past Friday and into Sunday, we miss a huge part of the story. When was the last time you remember hearing about Saturday? You know, the day that was in between Friday and Sunday. What, what happened on Saturday? One of the taglines I've heard almost all my life was, Friday's here, but Sunday's coming. There's lots of hope. There's lots of excitement. There's lots of anticipation in that statement. But I want to suggest to you that Saturday was not a day filled with hope, but a day filled with doubt, a day full of disbelief. You see, up to this point in the story, everyone that was following Jesus believed that he was the Messiah. They thought he was their king. And then they watched him die. And so they take his body, and I'm not talking about the disciples, because they took off. They weren't even there. They didn't even come to the crucifixion. It was these two other guys that took the body. Some rich guy named Josephus, who happened to have a tomb available, and then this young kid named Nicodemus. And so they took the body, and it was, it was Friday night. The Sabbath was about to start. It was getting late, so everyone was headed home. Very confused. What just happened we were just shouting Hosanna a couple days ago. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they put him on a cross and I watched him die. And at one point it turned dark and, and I heard him cry out, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? What did, what did that even mean? And then it was over and we, we went home. I thought this was the guy. I thought, I thought this, was the, this was the one, but he's dead. And see, the disciples, they weren't from Jerusalem, so they had to find a place to, to go. And one of the gospel accounts says they were hidden up in a cave. And you can imagine the scene there. Most of them are silent. They're still in shock, pacing the room maybe. And one of them starts to freak out. He's like, guys, he said he was the Messiah. And now what? He's dead. And people want us dead. I thought he was the king. We're going to imagine ourselves with the disciples on that Saturday, hiding together in a home. Perhaps our descendants, the disciples of the future, will call this a day of waiting. But we are not waiting. For us, there is nothing to wait for. All we know is what was lost yesterday as Jesus died on a cross. For us... It's all over. This is a day of doubt, despair, disillusionment, and devastation. Certain details of the killing yesterday are hard to shake. Jesus carrying his cross on the road to Golgotha, surrounded by women who were weeping for him. And then there was Peter, so full of bluster at dinner on Thursday. Such a coward later that night, and invisible all of yesterday. And Judas, to think we trusted him as our treasurer, at least the women stayed true. 
The women in John who was entrusted with Mary's care as her surrogate son. None of us can imagine what yesterday must have been like for Mary. She has carried so much in her heart for so long and now this. And then there was that strange darkness. As if the whole world were being uncreated. And there was that strange rumor about the veil and the temple being torn from top to bottom. Was that an image of God in agony? Like a man tearing his clothes in fury over the injustice that was happening? Or was it a rejection of the priesthood for their complicity in the crime? A way of saying that God was done with the priests in the temple. That God would welcome people into the holiest place without their assistance. Or maybe it could mean that God is on the loose. That God is through with being contained in a stone structure and behind a thin uh, curtain that wants to run free through the world like the wind. That's a nice sentiment, but not likely from today's vantage point. Today it best symbolizes that no place is holy anymore. If murder like this can take place in the so-called holy city, supported by the so-called holy priesthood, then holiness is nothing but a sham. It's a torn curtain. It's behind its only emptiness and lies. See, he loved life, but he did not cling to it. He loved life, Yet he was not controlled by the fear of death. In the garden Thursday night, it seemed as if to him the fear of death was more dangerous than death itself. So he needed to deal with the fear once and for all. But look where that got him. Maybe it would have been better for him to flee back to Galilee. Maybe that was what we should have done. But it's too late now. Now, now he's dead. Does that mean this uprising is dead too? We feel a chill as we realize that possibility. What do we do now? Do we leave, go back home, pick up our lives where we left them before all this started for us? Do we try to carry on the teachings of a dead, defeated, failed, and discredited leader? Do we turn cynical, disillusioned, dark, and bitter? Fishing and tax collecting will seem meaningless compared to the memories of these last three years, but that's all we have left. Fishing, tax collecting, and memories. The adventure of Jesus is dead and done. Maybe we've been fools. Maybe Pilate was right when he told Jesus that truth didn't matter, only power matters. The power of swords and spears, chariots and crosses, whips and nails. Or maybe the Sadducees and their rich friends in Jerusalem were right. Life is short, and then you die. So amass all the money you can by any means you can, and while you can, eat the best food, drink the best wine, because that's all there is. Wine. And that brings us back to Thursday night. Around the table, remember me. Remember me. I will not eat of it until, until... Did Jesus really believe that death wasn't the last word? Did he really believe that there was any hope of? That's too much to believe today. Today we sink in our doubt. Today we drown in our despair. Today we are pulled down, down in our pain and disappointment. Today we allow ourselves to question everything about the story we've been told. You see these 12 guys and and these women They watched Jesus turn water into wine. They watched him give sight to a blind man. They watched him walk on water, heal the leper, calm the storm, raise the dead. And they still didn't believe it. 
And what makes it worse is three times in, in Matthew's account, three different times, Jesus tells the disciples exactly what's going to happen. Chapter 15. Verse 21. This goes chapter 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Chapter 17, verse 22. When they came together in Galilee... He said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. In chapter 20, verse 18. We are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he'll be raised to life. So he told them what was going to happen. And they had already seen all the things that he had done. Does anyone find it ironic that they didn't even have faith for three days? I'm going to suggest to you that they didn't believe at all on Saturday. Turn to Mark chapter 16. See, it was late Friday night um, when the Sabbath began. and, And so they... Sat together all day long on Saturday just thinking. And then the evening came on, on Saturday. The Sabbath was lifted. And, but it was, it was too dark to go to the tomb because they didn't know who would be waiting for them there. And so they waited until Sunday morning. Verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might anoint Jesus' body. Real quick uh, about Jewish burial. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3 says, um, all come from dust, and to dust all return. And embalming was, a, was an Egyptian custom. It wasn't a Jewish one. The Jews did not want to uh, preserve the body. They wanted to, to let it rot. The body was just a shell for the soul. And so as soon as someone would die, they would escort the body to the tomb, and they would wrap it in linen and anoint it with spices to help uh, with the stench of death. And then they would put you in the tomb or or in this cave. And then they would put a stone in front of the cave to keep the animals out. Because it would have been the most disrespectful thing to to let someone's body be uh, available to the animals. To be left for the animals. So they would put the stone in front. And the stone was also to, to help keep the smell in. And then in a year, they would come. It was called the second burial. And they would roll the stone away and the body now fully decomposed. And they would gather up the bones and they would then put them to the side where the ancestors would lay. And this was called the gathering to your fathers. And then once a year they would come and they would visit the grave. And they would bring a rock. And they would place the rock at the, at the graveside. You know, in our custom we, we bring flowers, right? And we know that those don't last and so we bring fake flowers, right? But they would bring stones, and you can still go to places and you could see mounds of stones laid outside a tumor or a grave. But what was happening on, on day two? What was Saturday like? Was it similar to a church youth group lock-in, right? You know, we're all hyped up on energy drinks and Mountain Dew. Uh, we're singing worship songs and we're just counting down the hours, right, until the third day. 
right? Maybe it was kind of like the New Year's ball dropping. Three, two, one. Let's go to the tomb, right? We're, we're hopeful. We're excited. We're anticipating. They were headed to the tomb to see the risen Lord, right? They showed up with spices to throw off the smell of his decaying dead body. They went to visit the dead. Luke 24. Verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away in the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember when he told you that while you were still in Galilee, that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? In Matthew's gospel, they were told to go and tell the other disciples. And so they went, they ran back home. And I wonder what that moment was like, right? Hey guys, good news, Jesus is alive. And the guys are there and they're like, well, duh. Of course he is. He told us three times what would happen. You women never listen. Verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. These were the disciples. These were Jesus' SEAL Team 6, right? His crew, his boys. And they were like, no way. We were there and we watched him die. And then Peter, for some, some reason, he, re, he decides to run there for himself, to check it out for himself. And so in John chapter 20, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who would reach the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. They were filled with great joy because now they believed. Saturday was not a hope-filled day. It was a day of doubt. And I'm so thankful that the Bible gives us this raw picture of honesty. Because don't you feel like that sometimes? Don't you wonder if this story is real? You got Santa, the the Easter bunny, Jesus, is this real? Don't you find asking yourself that? Because it seems almost too good to be true. And I'm so glad that this is included in the story. Because from the moment these guys see the empty tomb... Everything changes. Now what felt like disbelief was affirmed by everything around them. And so that brings us to Easter. Maybe you were here last year. Maybe the year before. Maybe the year before that too. But you and I, we come year after year. Bringing our own form of religious flowers and stones to commemorate the death of Jesus. And we we place that stone at the empty tomb. 
And we wear, we wear our Sunday best, right? Because mom bought us new clothes and, and, and God cares what you're wearing, right? But do we get it? Are, there, are, are we any different than the disciples on Saturday? Do we really believe that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation? That the old has passed away and the, and the new has come? That you're no longer defined by where you've been or what you've done, but now defined by Christ? Do we get that? Do we understand that we identify with him in his death, but the fact that he's risen allows us to walk in newness of life? We don't get it because we have a doubt problem, just like the disciples. We come here Easter morning seeking the living among the dead. Easter Sunday for us is just an expression of religion with no concept of why we're even here. We check a box and grandma's happy, right? It was her dying wish for us to come to church for Easter together. And she's been dying for 10 years, right? You know, hurry up. You know, we just quit it. I get it. I I get all of that. But I want you to know that there's so much more. Back to the, the awkward church codes. Anyone remember the first time they heard the concept of people getting saved? Right? Like, so-and-so got saved last week, or 15 people got saved at the revival. What does that mean? Saved from what? In the story of God, you see this universal problem we all have called sin. We all have it. It's, it's built in. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about, right? Have you ever met a child that naturally wanted to share anything, right? If you don't believe it's part of our DNA, just watch a couple two-, three-year-olds play, Right? One kid reaches for that toy that another one had, and that out of nowhere, precious angel is punching, kicking, biting, right? You know, they're, they're, they turn. One of my kids, I'm not going to tell you which one, but one of my kids carried around this aerial dial on this little plastic flounder. Uh, and he didn't, didn't go anywhere without it, right? And, it, and if you touch that dial, he would get so mad, and, and he was just, he was a biter. <laughs> my boy listen he grew out of it i'm okay with it hey that was not learned behavior right his sister pulled hair he was a biter he it was instinct you know it was inside of him you ever been driving through town during during leaf season horns blasting people running across the street screaming brakes locking up the two-way stop down here becomes a four-way stop for some reason right during leaf season right you're all yelling at each other pointing fingers you go no you go it's your turn it's not a stop sign over there you know i i feel it you know why because we have this problem called sin and our response to sin is to to medicate it to cover it up to mask it we got to look better be better uh, live better we got to do better and we're good for a couple hours and then it creeps right back in. And then we're, we got to do better, man. We got to talk better, dress better, uh, think better. And then back to it. All of us do it. It's the cycle we live in. And then we come to moments like this. Church on Easter morning. And this makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves, right? We needed something to neutralize the bad and guilty feelings we had. And so this is why I'm here. I'm here to feel good. But sometimes we need more. So, so we medicate. But no matter what we do to mask it, we're always left wanting more. Why? Because the sin issue, it can't be fixed by the world. The only thing that can save you from that is Jesus. He saved us from the wrath of God. That's why Jesus died. 
Because we all had this sin issue. And scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. That this holy God was now obligated because of his love to pour out his wrath on sin. And the only thing that's good about Friday is that Jesus went to the cross in our place. And so when we place our faith in him, Easter then brings joy because the tomb is empty. You see, Peter and the disciples, after spending three and a half years with Jesus, it was only after seeing the empty tomb did they believe. And so here we are, 2,000 years later, still wondering if this is real. This is how I want to end the story. You and I come here year after year with our flowers or with our rock, and we place it there at the tomb. And that's fine. I, I want you to come next Easter. But I have to be honest with you. If we just do that, we just come back again next year, we're missing the point. See, Jesus didn't go through what he went through so that you could eat ham. He offers new life to all who would believe. And so maybe this year you would embrace what he has to offer. New life. Forgiveness. Nothing else can give you that. It's the one thing that you can't get on your own. So we need to see him for his glory. And listen, your doubts are okay. Skeptics, you're welcome here. Your faith may waver. He is still risen. Those of you who are exploring, you have two options, right? We are all either completely nuts and we've been duped. Or maybe the story is true. And when you believe, you can experience the joy of finding the empty tomb.